The following lecture was delivered at the 14th Annual National Jewish Retreat in Washington, D.C., a project of the Rohr Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy it, and we encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. Rabbi Ari Solish now presents his lecture, Book Launch, The Power of One, Inclusion and the Power of the Individual. Good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's great to see you all here today. So um, welcome to this book launch. Very proud of it. Um, the launch of my new book entitled Inclusion and the Power of the Individual in the Teachings of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. If you haven't seen it yet, the book looks like this. So this book was a labor, has been a labor of love for me. Um, I was approached by Kahas Publication Society um, a little back, a little back in time, and asked if, uh, if, I would be, if I would be open to researching and writing a book on inclusion. And the book, the concept of the book, and the, really the, um, the drive for the book was pushed by the Ruderman Family Foundation and the Ruderman Chabad um, Inclusion Initiative. And I, we need to give a special thank you for the Ruderman Family Foundation and the Inclusion Initiative for being such a, an incredible, um, playing such an incredible role, not only in the creation of this book, but in many of the resources that are out there today within Chabad circles on the topic of inclusion. Um, in addition to the, uh, to the guidance and the assistance and the drive from the Ruderman Family Foundation, um, I had the good fortune in, in writing this book to have the resources and resources um, provided by the Rural Jewish Learning Institute, which are our hosts here today, um, as well as Jewish educational media, they both provided a lot of resources that went into the, the writing of this book. And the, the result of it is the book that we are, that we're launching today. So before we go any further, I wanna mention this. And that is that the Rebbe had a, an absolutely pioneering approach to inclusion. So at a time when denigration or segregation was the norm, the Rebbe advocated, the Rebbe taught, the Rebbe modeled an approach of absolute inclusivity. I spoke with someone this morning who's a noted educator, and he told me, uh, from Israel, and he told me that when he was young, they were taught, and, and I don't know if he meant they were taught in school with a textbook, but he told me this morning they, they were taught that when you see somebody with a disability, you look away. You look the other direction. You don't make eye contact. You shy away. And he said he almost got the feeling, he almost got the sense that if he got too close, that he would catch something. This was, this was a, a prevalent notion, a prevalent feeling, an attitude um, held by many. And... Perhaps, unfortunately, it's still an attitude um, that's held by many. But the Rebbe had a, a very different approach. The Rebbe's approach was inclusivity. And it's true across the board. It's true when we talk about spiritual inclusivity, Jewish inclusivity, and also disability inclusivity. So a few things to note about the Rebbe's revolutionary inclusive approach. First of all, number one, it was before the movement of inclusion became trendy. 
The Rebbe was inclusive before it was an in thing to be, number one. And number two, it wasn't driven by culture. It wasn't driven by popular, popular culture or trends in society. It was something that was absolutely innate. In fact, I'd like to read a section, a selection from, from the book, from, uh, from the introduction, where I write the following. I'm quoting myself. Perhaps the most remarkable aspect of the Rebbe's approach to inclusion was how perfectly natural it was to him. The Rebbe's call for inclusion did not result from the latest medical studies, societal shifts, or external pressures. It came from within. Inclu uh, inclusive to the Rebbe was the perfectly natural way to be and the only way to be. This really sums up the fundamental uh, theme of this book, which is being inclusive from a place, from an inner place of just that being the natural way to be, as opposed to being something that is an add-on or something that is um, that that comes as a as an accommodation, external accommodation to uh, to to a need that's out there. So, what I wanted to do today is relate five lessons that I learned while writing the book. Five lessons that come up in the book, but five lessons that I think apply not only to the field of inclusion, but also to everyday life. So lesson number one. The first lesson that I learned while writing the book is the idea that we are a family. We are family. To the Rebbe, inclusion wasn't some sort of chesed campaign or some sort of project. It was rather the natural way to be because we are all family. This is something that's expressed not only in the Rebbe's teachings and in the Rebbe's conversations and in the Rebbe's letters, but it's really a fundamental Jewish value. So I'd like to, does everyone have a copy of, um, of the booklet that was prepared? So I'd like to, uh, to direct your attention to source number one on page number two. These are some sections, just so you know, this, um, this booklet are, contains some excerpts that are found in the book as well. So this is coming from a book called Sefer Hasidim. And it's a really remarkable text. It says, there are people who are missing an arm or a leg or eyes, whether from birth or resulting from an affliction. Those physically whole are created to do what is needed for those who are missing limbs. The infant is born unable to walk and its mother takes care of its needs. So too, God appoints caregivers for the needs of all who are missing limbs. Therefore, all Israel are fathers and mothers to each other, as it says in Deuteronomy, when listing various segments of Israelites, the heads of your tribes, your elders, your officers, every person of Israel, your children. It does not say, and your children, rather it simply says, your children, without the conjunction. This means that we should consider every person of Israel to be like our children whom we supply with the necessities they need. Here we have such a powerful declaration of what it means to be there for someone else. And what it means is we all have things. We all have areas in which we are reliant on other human beings. How do we view our reliance on others or the help and the assistance and the care that we give toward others? Do we look at it as something that is above and beyond the norm? So this text tells us, no, it's, it's, it's what it means to be part of a family. Every single person is a member of our family. We're all 
members of the same family. And if we're members, which we are, and, and since we're members of the same family, so it's not going out of our way to be accommodating to someone that may have a unique need, or a, when I say unique need, a need that's different than ours, perhaps. It's not going out of the way. It's something that is absolutely inherent and intrinsic and natural. Take a look at source number two. This is, the, the sources one and two are not from, not sources specifically from the Rebbe's teaching. These are, these are classic Jewish teachings that bring out the attitude that we might have, that we need to have toward inclusion. Source number two, this is coming from a, a book called the Carbon Aaron. So quotes a verse, this is the narrative of the offspring of, of Adam. Ben Azai maintains that this is more fundamental a principle than love of one's fellow. For in saying that all are offspring of one father and that all are brothers, it follows that no one should act as if he were greater than another and no one should hate another. The intent of this text is to say that this record, the Torah, is of the offspring of the first man, that all are children of one father. This is what should truly be called a great fundamental principle for the verse, love your fellow, requires love only on account of fellowship and friendliness. Whereas the verse, this is the narrative, requires love and account of brotherhood, which is a greater obligation. And so here the carbon iron makes the following declaration, and he says that it's one thing. It's one thing to love your fellow as yourself because they're a fellow, because of friendship. But it's quite another to love your fellow as yourself or to be there for another because they're a brother or a sister. What's the difference? Well, a friend is not, an, is not an inherent or intrinsic connection. It's a gained connection. So a friend, we, we weren't always connected, but at a certain point in time, we became friends, and now it's, it's kind of like an added-on piece to who, my, what my, who and what I, I truly am and my core identity. But family is core identity. We share the same DNA. And the carbon iron is telling us that we ought to look at every single human being as a brother and a sister sharing the same essential DNA. And therefore, our, our responsibility toward another and to be there for each other is one of, is one of an inherent, uh, inherent nature as opposed to an added, on, an added on element. And we see this also in the Rebbe's writings. I wanna I want uh, continue in this, in, this, in this booklet to source number three. This is a letter that the Rebbe wrote to Mrs. Chava Lehman who was the founder of the Kisharon Children's School in London. Now this was a school that was designed for children with intellectual disabilities. And the school is around to this very day. The school is still in operation. Um, and the Rebbe writes this letter in 1982. Here's an excerpt, source number three. There is no need to emphasize to you at length that, is, that it is the duty of every Jew to do everything that he or she can to help other Jews, particularly special children who need special attention and care. Indeed, this is the elementary duty associated with the mitzvah of Yohafta, Lareacha, Kamocha, love your fellow as yourself. And here, the Rebbe references the great mitzvah, the mitzvah that was also referenced in text two, in source two, although there we drew a distinction between loving a fellow and loving a brother, the Rebbe wasn't getting so nuanced in, in his letter to Mrs. Lehman in, in source number three, but the overall feeling that we get 
from this, this, uh, this paragraph that the Rebbe adds in blessing and giving her a blessing for success and some guidance in her efforts in her school, the Rebbe makes sure to mention that this is an elementary duty. It's something that is so basic and fundamental. I'm not saying it's easy. When I say easy, I'm not saying it comes, not that everyone is doing it, but it ought to be something that everyone does, i.e., be there for another and look at everyone else as part of the same family, part of the same collective group. Loving your fellow as yourself is something that is a fundamental, a fundamental mitzvah, a, a klal, gadol batorah. And this is what's driving the notion of inclusion. So the first, the first idea, the first, the first lesson that I learned or that came into sharp focus when writing this book is the idea that we are truly family. We are truly family and it is family that's driving and that drove in a very strong sense the Rebbe's perspective on inclusion. Here are the texts that we went through. Okay, lesson number two. Lesson number two is the idea that we should focus on abilities, not disabilities. This is something that comes into sharp focus when we look at the Rebbe's approach to inclusion. The Rebbe modeled an approach in which we are to look at the abilities of another person and not just on disability. That doesn't mean, by the way, to ignore disability. Doesn't mean to pretend that another person's disability doesn't exist, but rather to highlight the ability that that person has and to make that what we focus on. And the premise is simple. Why should we focus, sometimes exclusively, as some have done, why focus on what a person cannot do? Why not focus, rather, on what a person can do? After all, there's far much more that a person can do than what the person cannot do. Perhaps the, uh, the greatest example, one of the greatest examples of this, uh, from, from the guidance of the Rebbe was what has become at this point a fairly famous episode in 1976. So in 1976, there were a group of uh, wounded Israeli war veterans that came and paid a visit to Chabad World Headquarters, 770 Eastern Parkway in Brooklyn. And the Rebbe met with them personally. And the entire synagogue was cleared out. If you've ever been to 770, you know there's always action. There's always someone there praying Whatever prayer it is, even chakras at 4, 4 p.m., it doesn't matter. There's always a prayer service happening. There are people learning, studying constantly 24-7. The synagogue was cleared out, was cleared out for this, this incredible group of, of individuals, Israeli war veterans. And the Rebbe met with them and delivered an address, delivered a talk that was just for this group. And in his talk, the Rebbe emphasizes that they have, the group sitting in front of them, they have exceptional abilities. And instead of focusing on disability, what they might not be able to do exactly like other people do, focus on what they can do and in fact what they can do in a, in a greater measure than, than perhaps other people. So I'd like to play um, an excerpt from the Rebbe's talk that, that shares this message. Invite in Mason. 
מהשם שנסים למי שהוא, שהוא נכי, שזה אומר לעל מה שהוא נכיסוס ויירידו, כי אם אדרא בצורך להדגיש בזה שהוא משהו מיוחד ומצוין על ידי בילר אודום, שנוסם לצ'כס מיוחדים יסיירים על מה שיש לנו לאודום מן השורו, ולכן דווקא ביכולתי להסגבר על כושים ומניס שאין ביכולת להסגבר עליהם לאודום מן השורו. ולכן לא הייתי מציע שישנו השם ויקורו מצויונים בישראל, ואם זה רק שינוי השם, כי אם גם פיר המסר מהמיתוסי, שיש בהם משהו מצוין ומיוחד, שלוחים להם הזכות להריץ דוגמא חיו ומתייחסים חוק ובתוכן עצמי שכל אחד ואחס מבני ישראל באיזה מצב שיהיה בגשמיות ובמצב הגופי, הרי הנשומה שלה היא חלק חלקה ממר ממש That's an excerpt. I, there's a piece of that video that's a piece of the Rebbe's words that are cut out. I'm not sure why they were cut out um, in, this, uh, in, this, in this excerpt, um, but it's, it's, it's very humorous where the Rebbe says, in keeping with Jewish custom to offer unsolicited advice, here's what I would like to offer. <laughs> advice about how we, how we refer to people and not referring to somebody by the handicap, but rather by their abilities. I, I love the fact that the Rebbe normalizes the conversation and says everyone has things that they can do and cannot do. So what's, what's uh, why are we surprised? Everyone has things. Not, there's no human being that can do everything. It's not possible. Everyone has things that they can do and they can't do. Fine. Why, why are we focusing on what, 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 what a person can't do? perhaps, or, or does a little bit different. It's, the Rebbe seeks to normalize and just even, I hesitate to use these words, but, but normalize the conversation and, 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 and speak to individuals as human beings with things they can do and things they cannot do like everyone else. It's, it's, it's so intrinsic and so inherent to the Rebbe's perspective. It's not like there's a perspective of difference, but compensation for difference to try to make it equivalent. It's from the, in, and I'm trying to emphasize this again and again, it's from the get-go there's a sense of, of a natural sameness. We're all individuals and we all have things that we can do and things that we can't do or things that we do different. Everyone is like this. And, and there are stories in the book, and you can, you can read them in the book, and, and just stories about how the Rebbe, on that day in 1976, at that meeting, how the Rebbe really transformed individual lives by the way the Rebbe looked at people in the eye and gave them a handshake and said thank you and just connected with their humanity. So this is, this is the second lesson that, uh, that, I, that I took from the process of writing this book, the second lesson 
a focus on ability, not disability. And it's a lesson that can apply to, uh, to everybody, to everybody in every situation. Why focus in general, right? in addition to the topic of inclusion, in general, how do we seek to look at those around us? Do we look at flaws? Do we look at everyone's flaws? You know, you look at everyone's flaws, you end up, you know, with, uh, if, if a person tells themselves, well, this person doesn't do this, and they don't do that, and they do the other, so I can let my, myself off the hook, so you'll end up with all the flaws of everybody. That's not a way to live. So why focus in general on flaws? Focus on, um, on, on, on gifts. And again, the same thing is true with human beings. It's less, it, we should spend less time focusing on what a person does differently or what maybe they cannot do exactly and focus more on what the gifts that they have, the gifts that they have and the abilities that they have um, and, 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 and the beauty that is within. Let's take a look at the third lesson. Uh, third lesson is think positive and challenge. Think positive and challenge. And I'm, I will explain in a moment the connection between these two ideas. So in general, the Rebbe modeled um, in every area a very positive approach and outlook on life. We find this um, in, like I said, in, in every area. There's a new book that's out now by Rabbi Mendel Kalmanson, Positivity Bias, that uh, goes through this topic at length, this, the positive outlook of the Rebbe, and the realm of inclusion was no different. The Rebbe advocated, the Rebbe counseled, and the Rebbe modeled a fiercely positive outlook uh, and, a, and a, pure, a fiercely positive approach to working with people with disabilities. So there's story after story about the Rebbe speaking with parents who were at that stage, who were distraught by a child uh, that was born with a disability and how the Rebbe positively and, and transformatively uplifts them uh, with, with, uh, with a different approach and a different attitude. So one person that I spoke to while writing the book is a fellow named David Mayer. And David lives in Los Angeles. David told me that in late 1984, uh, his wife, Lynn, gave birth to, uh, to, to, to their son, to their first son, um, and they called him Avram. And they were devastated because her son was born with Down syndrome. So he tells me that they were going through a mourning period. This is what he told me. They were going through a mourning period uh, because they were mourning the son that they thought they were going to have. They had expectations. They thought, they, had a, 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 they imagined that their son would be a certain way. And here they have a son. Now they have a son that's born with Down syndrome. So this, is, this was their internal process. They decide at some point to, to go to Brooklyn and to pay a visit to the Rebbe. They go to 770. And they wanted to meet with the Rebbe and, and, and just speak and, and ask for blessings, et cetera, and guidance. And they found out when they got there that that wasn't going to be an easy task. In 1984, to have a personal meeting with the Rebbe was not, was not an everyday occurrence and not something that was very, uh, very achievable. But they got the scoop, they got the inside information that if you stand in a certain place in 770 in the synagogue, if you, if you position yourself in the right place, you might be able to catch the Rebbe on the way back from afternoon prayers, from the Mincha prayers, heading back to his office. And so David and Lynn 
And little Avremel, who was a baby held in his mother's arms, they were waiting in the hallway for the Rebbe to walk, to walk by on the way back from the afternoon services. And so it was, the Rebbe walks by, and the Rebbe stops, the Rebbe looks at them, the Rebbe takes out a coin from his pocket, and he puts it in Avremel's hands, in Avremel's hand. Now the Rebbe would give tzedakah, would give, would give coins to children to give to tzedakah, much as he gave, later he gave dollars for people to give to tzedakah, the Rebbe gave, gave coins to children to give to tzedakah. Now the, the Avremel drops the coin, the coin falls out of his hand. The Rebbe, the Rebbe bends down, picks up the coin, and puts it into Avremel's hand once again, and closes his fingers around the coin. And the Rebbe looks at Lynn, at the, at, at, at the mother, and he leans in and he says the following. He says, I want to quote it accurately. He says, these children are my generals. You shouldn't worry, he will be a blessing. And as David tells me, these positive words of encouragement absolutely transformed the entire attitude and perspective that he and his wife had on, on Avremel. And he says it's without a doubt that Avremel is the greatest gift that they've had in their lives. But at that point, they were not feeling that blessing. They were in a different space inside. The Rebbe's fiercely positive attitude absolutely transformed their, their sense and their, their attitude and, and the entire experience. It's a paradigm shift. And the Rebbe gave, gave them, opened up that perspective with his words and with his whole approach and the way that he, 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 he just, he, the way that conversation unfolded and that experience unfolded just was the breakthrough. It's a breakthrough. Coupled with the Rebbe's unwavering positive attitude and outlook was his belief in challenging people. The Rebbe was fiercely positive and loving, at the same time, fiercely challenging. And the two points, I said before I was gonna draw the connection between these two points, they really go hand in hand. You see, if you really believe in someone, not if you're just being nice, but if you really believe in someone, if you really have a positive outlook and a positive attitude, you really believe in the other human being, then you believe that they're capable. And if they're capable, well then, they ought to be challenged. And they ought to be challenged toward achievement. When you have faith in someone, you don't let them off the hook, right? It's someone who you don't have faith in that you don't give any responsibilities to, right? If you have no faith that someone can carry a responsibility, you don't give them responsibility. But when you believe in someone, when you have a positive outlook and you really believe that someone is capable, then you do wish and you do put responsibilities and challenges upon them. So these two values, a positive outlook and a challenging disposition are found in such an important letter that the Rebbe wrote in 1979 to Dr. Robert Wilkes. So Dr. Robert Wilkes was a social worker at Coney Island Hospital in Brooklyn. And he was also the head of a regional council on, on intellectual disabilities. So he, Dr. Wilkes reaches out to the Rebbe in 1979 um, I believe it was, yeah, the first letter was dated August 9th, 1979, which is just about, how many years is it now? It's uh, 40 years. Yeah, just a little over 40 years. 
So he reaches out with a letter asking a very specific question about people with disabilities and people with intellectual disabilities. He says, um, is, is it, there's a big debate, he, 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 he frames it as there's a debate in society whether or not um, group homes should be created for people with, uh, with intellectual disabilities within, within neighborhoods and within communities? Or should it be more separate in, in institutions and, and outside the community? Should it be integrated or not so integrated? That's his question. So the Rebbe detailed, the Rebbe penned a very detailed letter with pages and pages of guidance. Here's an excerpt of what the Rebbe writes, and I'm gonna pull it up also here we go, Let's, I'm going to pull it up on the screen as well, but you also have it in your booklets. This is source number, hold on, source four, yep, you are correct, source four. The social worker or teacher should start from the basic premise that this is in each case only a temporary handicap and that in due course, it could certainly be improved and even improved substantially. This approach should be taken regardless of the pronouncements or prognosis of specialists in the field. The reason for this approach is, first of all, that it is a precondition for greater success. In other words, let me just stop here for a moment. What the Rebbe is saying is having a positive outlook and an, and an attitude, an attitude of seeing the positive, seeing potential is a precondition for success. If you can't see the success, you're not going to achieve the success. You have to believe in it and you have to see it. The Rebbe continues, besides considering the enormous strides that have been made in medical science, human knowledge, methodology, and know-how, there is no doubt that in this area too, there will be far-reaching developments. The Rebbe continues, just as the set approach is important from the viewpoint of and for the worker and educator, so it is important that the trainees themselves should be, should be encouraged both by word and the manner of their training to feel confident that they are not, God forbid, cases, much less unfortunate or hopeless cases. Needless to say, care should be taken not to exaggerate expectations through far-fetched promises for false hopes inevitably result in deep disenchantment, loss of credibility, and other undesirable effects. However, a way can surely be found to avoid raising false hopes, yet giving guarded encouragement. The Rebbe is saying one cannot present the false picture of reality. At the same time, positivity and, uh, and encouragement is absolutely necessary um, for success and for growth, et cetera. And here is the last piece of this excerpt that I wish to highlight. The Rebbe, the Rebbe continues to write, as part of the above approach, which as far as I know has not been used before, is to involve some of the trainees in some form of leadership, such as captains of teams, group leaders and the like, without arousing the jealousy of the others. The latter could be avoided by making such selections on the basis of seniority, special achievement, exemplary conduct, etc. So the Rebbe at the end, the last sentence is speaking about how to pragmatically facilitate it. But the, the overall point of this last paragraph is to challenge and to give responsibility to those that are in this environment. And this becomes a hallmark of the Rebbe's teaching. This expresses what I would call a hallmark of the Rebbe's teachings. Number one, a fiercely positive attitude, belief in the other human being, belief in their capabilities. And at the same time, the desire, the desire, the need, or the responsibility to challenge the other. And by challenge, challenge is the greatest vote of confidence. Like I mentioned before, when you're challenging someone, when you're putting someone in a, in a, in a position of leadership and responsibility, Right, you're saying to somebody, I challenge you to step up and, and, and be a leader. And, and whatever, in whatever way, the Rebbe doesn't give specific 
you know, the specific, exact, what it, exactly what it looks like. But when you empower somebody, you challenge someone with leadership, you, you, the message that you give to them is, I believe in you, I believe in you, and I trust you, and I know you are capable. So that is, that is the third lesson. And again, this also, has an this also has universal application. The notion that we are to look at everybody with a positive lens and believe and trust in everyone and their abilities and capabilities to handle challenge. Lesson number four. Lesson number four that I, that I took from writing this book. Hold on, I'm going backwards. Lesson number four. Life is not one size fits all. So I, I mentioned a moment ago Dr. Wilk's letter to, to the Rebbe. And, and the, the letter was asking, are group homes uh, integrated in communities? Is that, is, that, is that a good thing or not a good thing? There's different uh, societal opinions. And what, what's, what's the right approach? And without getting into the details, the Rebbe gives such a powerful approach to addressing the question. On the one hand, the Rebbe doesn't answer the question. But in not answering the question, the Rebbe answers it in a far greater way. And you'll see what I mean. What the Rebbe says is that this topic is not a one-size-fits-all conversation. There's no one approach that is the magical or the correct approach. There's no one approach that we can say, this is the only way to do things. This is the only way. This is the best way for individuals with intellectual disabilities or with other disabilities. This is, this is the only way, this is the best way. Rather, the Rebbe advocated an approach that really takes the individual into consideration. And what the Rebbe says is like this, every human being, every child, for example, has their particular nature. And therefore, if you ask someone a question, what's the best school? You know what the answer is? Whatever is best for the child. There's no such thing as the best school, right? There's no such thing. It's a false question. The premise of the question is, is, is false. There's no such thing as a best school. It's whatever is best for the child. And the same thing is true when it comes to the realm of inclusion. As Reb explains in the letter, there's no one answer as, as far as what is best. What is best is what is best for the individual. There is no such thing as a one-size-fits-all answer. Um, take a look at source number six. You'll find we're skipping source five. Take a look at source number six on page number six. This is an excerpt from that original letter from 1979. With regard to the efforts which have been made in recent years to create group homes, which, as you say, has been a source of controversy... It is to be expected that as in most things in our imperfect world, there are pros and cons. However, I believe that the approach should be the same as in the case of all pupils or students who spend part of their time in group environments, school dormitories, summer camps, etc., and part of their time in the midst of their families, whether every day or at weekends, etc. Only by individual approach and evaluation can it be determined which individual fits into which category. And here the Rebbe says that there is no way to answer the question to, and, and say, well, this is definitively the approach that should be taken. There's no one approach that should be taken. Inclusion is not, there's no one, there's no one approach that is the right approach. It's an attitude. 
And it's, a, it's an overall approach that leads to, that opens up many pathways. You know, the title of the book is Inclusion and the Power of the, of the Individual. And, you know, in, in, in creating the title, I wanted to highlight really this duality, the, the dual aspect. On the one hand, we're talking about, the conversation is about inclusion. And inclusion might sound like it's very much homogenous. Like everyone's together, we're all the same. Inclusion, we're all the same. But that wasn't exactly the nuance of the Rebbe's approach to inclusion. What the Rebbe said is, we're all the same in that we're all individuals. Our sameness lies in the fact that we're all unique. I'm unique, like you're unique, like the other person's unique. We're all the same because we're all different and unique and we all have incredible gifts. So there's no one size fits all answer for what is the best summer program for a child. An overnight camp, a day camp, uh, uh, schooling, whatever it is. There's no one size fits, there's no one size fits all approach. It's an individual conversation. And the Rebbe was advocating the same when it comes to inclusion. The overarching goal and the overarching value is inclusion. But inclusion takes into consideration the individual, the individual, the individual and their individual needs, their individual capabilities, their individual personalities, etc. And again, this is, to me, this is a universal value. Um, in addition to the field of inclusion, this is a universal value and a universal um, perspective and an attitude of the Rebbe, which is to, it, it, it's, we tend to group people, to lump people in a group and say, well, if you fit into that box, then you're like this. We meet people all the time and we size people up and we assign them into, into boxes, into stereo, stereotypes and, 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 and boxes. And the message here is there are no boxes. People don't fit into boxes. Yeah, people don't fit into boxes. It's not how it works. People are individuals and, and, and people have their individual needs. And that is what must be fiercely maintained in the conversation of inclusion. The final lesson that I'd like to highlight uh, that, that I learned from writing this book, the final lesson is, again, I'm going the wrong direction, is don't forget Judaism. This is something that also arises from the Rebbe's teachings and guidance on the, on the, on the topic of, of inclusion. So the Rebbe insisted in almost every conversation that I could find about the Rebbe on inclusion, the Rebbe always insisted on maintaining focus on the spiritual dynamic as well. It's not enough to focus on the physical well-being and the physical needs of the individual, but also the spiritual needs. We have to nurture the soul, nurture the Jewish connection. And this too is spelled out and emphasized in the very same letter of the Rebbe to Dr. Wilkes. This is found in source number seven, bottom of page six, and I'll read this excerpt. There is surely no need to emphasize at length that, as in all cases involving Jews, their specific Jewish needs must be taken into account. This is particularly true in the case of now, here the Rebbe uses a word that was part of the council that Dr. Wilkes represented. In another letter, I'm mentioning this parenthetically, in another letter the Rebbe writes that he doesn't like the usage of this term, and he, he's, but it's, it's, he's addressing a group that's literally called, calling itself by that term, but he says, I, I don't like this term, 
So in my reading, since I'm also not, uh, I'm also not, I also don't like this term. So I'm gonna change the language here. Um, even though I'm reading an excerpt from the Rebbe's letter with, uh, with, with asking for forgiveness to the, to the original letter, I'm gonna change, change the wording here. So this is particularly true in the case of Jewish children that have intellectual disabilities, yet all too often disregarded. There is unfortunately a prevalent misconception that they should not be burdened with Jewish education on top of their general education so as not to overtax them. In my opinion, this is a uh, fallacious and de a detrimental attitude. Be it remembered that a child coming from a Jewish home probably has brothers and sisters or cousins and friends who receive a Jewish education and are, and are exposed to Jewish observances. If the child sees or feels that he has been singled out and removed from that experience, or when he will eventually find out that he is Jewish, yet deprived of his Jewish identity and heritage, it is very likely to cause irreparable damage to him. This paragraph, whenever, whenever I read it, whenever I see it, whenever I think about it, it gives me the goosebumps. Because here, again, the Rebbe is normalizing the conversation. And I even hesitate to use the word normalize. Because I'm, but the Rebbe is, is, is saying this is a, a person, every single Jew deserves a Jewish education. And deserves a Jewish nurturing community. Every Jew, without exception, yeah, and everyone's individual and everyone's unique. Mazel tov. Yes, that's true. There are ways, there are ways to include everybody. Everyone needs to be part of the conversation. The Rebbe says, imagine if a person is singled out and a person is, is singled out and, 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 and not given that education. Can you imagine the damage, the message that it sends to that individual? That's what the Rebbe is highlighting here. Let's conclude with the last paragraph. On the, on the other hand, if the child is involved in Jewish education and activities and not in some general and peripheral way, the Rebbe says, not a token Jewish connection or Jewish education, but rather, but, but in a regular and tangible way, such as in the actual performance of mitzvot, customs and traditions, it would give him a sense of belonging and attachment and a firm anchorage to hold on to, whether consciously or subconsciously, the Rebbe advocated time and again for the Jewish cultivation, for the Jewish nurturing. Don't forget about Judaism. Don't forget about the Jewish soul. Um, there is a, there's a video that I'd like to share. The Rebbe is speaking to a chazan, Kanter Malavani, and he, he emphasizes the need to not only uh, ensure the, the greatest physical care for his son, but also to ensure the spiritual and the Jewish nourishment as well. Er is in England in 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 speciale institutie in London. Jüdische institutie. Wir haben keine Gebrenk in in Amerika. Aber davon brauche man muss die Arbeit schon Yes. 
Man sei nicht vernünftig mit Menschen, sondern sie vernünftig mit Leben. Interessant, dass ich auf einmal probiert mit dem Lernen sozusagen eine Bruche. Und das ist schon gesagt. Ja, gesagt. Und da bekannt es über ihn, wie das Passee halte, das ja bekannt ist. Er hat als solche Küche, was ich im Sinne. Nein. Aber sie konnte doch erreichen. Here's what happened two years later. And again, we, we know based on the letter from 1979, the Rebbe's approach or the Rebbe's uh, um, emphasis on cultivating and nurturing the spiritual and Jewish connection. So in summary, in summary, um, the Rebbe looked at, at everyone, at the other person like family. The Rebbe looked at the other person as having gifts and abilities. The Rebbe looked at the other person with positivity and with faith and confidence in their ability. The Rebbe looked at the other person as an individual. And the Rebbe looked at, a, at, the, at the other person as a Jew with a godly soul that needs to be nurtured. I think these are powerful messages for inclusion and really for, uh, for, for all of our lives. One thing is, as I mentioned throughout this, uh, the presentation, the Rebbe really normalized the conversation. And what's true in the realm of inclusion is true in the realm of, of life. And what's true in life is true in the realm of, of inclusion. May we take these messages to heart and live more inclusive lives and really think about ways in which we can, we can, uh, we can be inspired by these, by these teachings to make real differences in our lives and in our Jewish communities. Thank you very much for joining me today. Please visit myjli.com to learn more about JLI's multiple educational offerings and toracafe.com to view highlights and lectures from past retreats.